Good morning, church. Just a caveat for to this morning for us to contemplate and think on. As we're making our way through this book, and as I'm reading it every day in our own devotion times, we're reading the book of Ephesians every day and, and meditating on this. One of the things I'm, I'm realizing is, is that uh, to preach sections of the book makes it uh, a wonderful thing, yet to see and understand this section, you kind of need to know the whole book, as strange as that sounds. So it's weird because as you go through and you look at a section, you start seeing, oh, this is wow, this is amazing, this is great truth. And then you go to the next section and you see how that theme is carried on and you get a little another element of that theme that was introduced in the beginning. And then by the end of the book, you're in... In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and it says, Stand against the powers, the rulers and authorities. And you see that all of these things kind of go all the way to the end of the book. And in order to understand the whole idea of what I'm going to be preaching on today, you kind of need to know the whole book in order to know this passage completely. Does that make, does that sound strange? It's almost like you, I'm, I'm only giving you just a little bit today. I'm only going to give you a little bit of it, and that's why expository preaching and why coming on a consistent basis is very important, because if you don't walk all the way through it, you're never going to really see the big thing, and you're not going to see all of it. And then when you finish the book, after reading it numerous times, and you see all this glory, guess what you realize? I still don't know it. <laughs> and you go back and read it again. I've preached this book by the grace of God three times at various times in my ministry. And every time I feel like I'm just seeing the glory of God all over again, all new. I think I could preach the book of Ephesians over and over and over for the rest of my ministry and never plumb the depths of it. At the same time, I know I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God's word, so it's the whole book that's like that. So... I hope you're enjoying our walk through this book. I'm hoping that you're studying on your own. I'm hoping that this is just kind of whetting your appetite for your own exploration of the Word of God. That this is like, wow, I need more. Uh, I'm really the appetizer, beloved. I'm the appetizer. You're supposed to be digging in on your own, enjoying the Word, digging in and finding the glory of God every day. And I promise you that if you do this, you will know the power of God in Christ. And if you know the power of God in Christ, your life is going to be transformed. And you are going to enjoy God in ways that you can't even comprehend. And we will, with the Apostle Paul, say over and over, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's where I want you to be and that's where I want you to go and it's not going to be for my little appetizer today. My mentor used to say this phrase. He used to say, what do I leave in and what do I leave out? As he got up to preach. Because what happens is, is that you study the Bible and you study these passages and you just see just so much. And then somehow you've got to come into this pulpit and give it to you. And I have to confess, this is an absolute impossible task. It's impossible. 
how do I explain the glory of God's power in one sermon? I don't. I don't. But we endeavor to know it a little better, right? So here we go. Last week, coming off of the big praise section in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, Paul records his prayer for the believers in Ephesus. In verses 15 through 19 of chapter 1 is a prayer. Arguably, the prayer goes all the way down through the end of chapter 3. And it turns and shifts to the power of God as revealed in Christ. We examined four features of prayer in Christ last week. We saw the foundation of prayer in Christ. We saw the foundation for Paul's prayer was God's glory revealed in Christ towards the believers. Who God is and what God has done in Christ in 3 through 14 for the believer motivated Paul to then pray. So knowing the glory of Christ and all that God has done in Christ and all the blessings He's given to us motivates the believer and motivates Paul to pray. As we see the glory of God, we know the glory of God, we then are beckoned to pray. I can tell you this, that in the last three weeks my prayer life has improved enormously. And it wasn't because I endeavored to be a better prayer warrior. (laughs) Just being honest. It's just the glory of God. For the more I know Him, the more I pray. The more I want to be with Him. The more I want to just enjoy Him. And I petition Him, the Sovereign, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who loves me. The foundation causes us to pray. The attitude of prayer is then was seen in gratitude, an attitude of continual gratitude. It's constantly thanking God as we abide in Him and know Him. We just thank Him all the time. It's what we do. It's as the Spirit's working in us, we have hearts of gratitude and thanks. There's also an attitude of continual dependence. Listen, the more I know God and the more I understand who He is and the more the Word reveals who He is, the more I realize I need Him. I need Him in all that I do. That's why... Paul says, I'm making mention of you in my prayers is because he knows that the people need him. And then he knows he needs him. And the more we know him, we say, the more I need you. Oh, please. And so prayer is just a natural, continual dependence of the heart of a believer. Gratitude and dependence are two primary heart attitudes of a genuine believer. We know God chose us by grace alone. We know we are redeemed, but yet to be redeemed. We are adopted, but yet to be finally adopted. Because God has unconditionally chose us before the foundation of our world. We know that it's not because we're valuable. It's not because we're worthy of it. It's not because we're good. It's because He's good. And because He's God overall. And that God is the one that worked. And so we are thankful, aren't we? And we're continually dependent because He is the Sovereign. So we pray with thanksgiving and dependence. Third, we learn the overall substance of our prayer. The main prayer. What is the main prayer request? The primary prayer request is, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. And really, beyond that is, I want you to know Him more. 
I want everybody in this congregation to know Christ more. I want you to know the glory of God more. For I know that if you know Him, that all satisfaction is found in Him. Knowing Him is our prayer request, isn't it? That is the substance of all that we want. We want to know God, don't we? We know Him, but we want to know Him more, don't we? God, just pour out your glory. Show us your glory in your word. I want to know you more. And that's what Paul prays. The principle or main substance of every believer's prayer is for others to know God, know the true God, to know the triune God that we seek. So Paul prayed that we would know more the one they already knew and loved and praised. So the primary substance of the believer's prayer for others is to know God more. Next, we examine some specifics of the prayer in Christ. It's found in verse 18. Notice, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that the eyes of your heart, hold on, I didn't know I had this. Hang in there, beloved. Here it is. One day I'm going to just quit these things. Here we go. The specifics of prayers are found in 118. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in His saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. The specifics were just a development of the primary substance of the biblical prayer. The primary prayer being to know God, right? So how do we know God? We know how He's working. We know how He's who He is. We know what He's doing. We know what He's done. We know what He's going to do. So as we know who He is, we know Him better through what He's done, what He's doing, and what He will do. Does that make sense? So Paul's specifics are, I want you to know what He's doing what he's done, and what he's going to do. Now, it's not in that order. It's in the order of how he laid it out. You see it here. What is the hope of his calling? Looking back to the calling so that you will know what the hope of his calling, that is that moment of conversion when God worked in your heart and that there's confident expectation that he loves you and he's chose you and you're his own, you're redeemed. That hope of His calling. You'll know that that thing that God has done in the past, therefore you will know Him more when you know what He's done. Do you understand? And what? The glory of His inheritance. Which looks to what? The future. That the promise of the glory of the inheritance of sharing with Christ and being in glory with Christ, that if you'll know that hope, that truth, that fact that you are heirs with Christ and that you're going to share in the glory of God. If you know that, what God is going to do, then you know who? Him. And if you know Him, you're, you got all you need. Because the true knowledge of Him is all we need, right? For a knowledge, for life in godliness. And then finally, the greatness of His power towards us. And here we go. We begin to look at what God is doing. 
and his power that is working within us now and within his church. The power of God. I'm going to talk about the power of God today. We are going to talk about the power of God in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing truth. It's something that we can't even comprehend completely, but I can't wait to endeavor to show it to you more. The calling of God is God's divine predetermined work that He will make us His children and finally adopt us and take us to inheritance. But how do we know that He is going to keep us? How do we know that we can't get away from God? How do we know that His calling of us will take us to eternity? Ultimately, we know it's because of the power of God. Not our power, not our strength, not our ability, but His power. And so the more we know His power, the more we know what? We're safe in the arms of God. His strength is strong. His might is great. And He will hold me fast. Because... His power is great. And it's working. We are called of God. We are heirs of God. Knowing this produces faith in God, doesn't it? God has worked in us. And God will work to glorify us. And I got good news for you. God is working right now. And He will work until glory. And that gives me faith. That gives me confidence. That gives me hope. That gives me trust. That gives me dependence on in Him. God is presently working in us to exert His almighty power in us. So Paul prays this. Look in verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of His glory? What is the surpassing greatness of God's power towards us who believe? In 119 it states, And what is the surpassing greatness of the power towards us who believe according to the working of the strength of His might? Now it's important for you to understand something. What does Paul pray specifically? He he prays that they will know this power that's already working. This is very significant. Now I have to admit, I'm going to give you a little hint of what I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon where you have to kind of know the whole thing. I kind of got this mindset in my head. Okay, so his power is working in me. His power is working in me. So I really don't need to pray for his power. I don't need to pray for his power to work in you because his power is working in me. I just need to know that his power is working in me. Now that sounds right, doesn't it? If you base it just on this passage. But then you turn over to... Chapter 3, and he says, I pray that you will, the surpassing power of God will work in you. So, wait, 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 wait. It's not just no, it's also praying that his power will work in you. That you will be strengthened with power. Okay? So you say, well, why do you say that? Well, because there's an element of knowing that it's available. It's knowing that it's there. But it's also an element of us seeking him. And seeking for his power to work through us. So we have to both know it's a reality. Know it's there. Know he's working. Know he's working in all of us. And yet we also have to, what? Seek him. And ask for his power to work in us. 
It's both. But first, Paul starts with the power of God on display that's working. And he starts with the ground of it, the foundation of it. Paul prayed that they would understand. And look at this verse. This verse is stunning, verse 19. It's what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the strength of his might. Do you see it? There's six words. Six words describing God's power in this one verse. Paul prays that they understand the incalculable or surpassing or infinite or measureless greatness of God's power towards them. That this great power, it goes beyond your comprehension. It's incalculable, God's power towards you. It's infinite. It's so great, we can't even measure it. This verse, in a sense, reads like an amplified Bible. Do you all know what an amplified Bible is? It's one of those where it often takes main words and then gives like several different synonyms for each of the main words so you can understand better what the author is saying. This verse alone is like Paul said, no, we don't need an amplified Bible. I'm just going to give all the words. I'm going to throw them all in here for you so you can see just how amazing God's power is. Paul says God's power is incalculable or far beyond comprehension. Paul says God's power is incalculably great. It goes beyond greatness. It's so great. Paul says the surpassing greatness of God's power or of the power is God's power. Very important, God's power. The triune creator God's power. It is exclusively the God's power. You understand that all little gods in this world have no power. But the one true triune God is all-powerful. That is very important. The only exclusive power, the only source for real change, real transformation, real knowledge of God is knowing the power of the triune God. Which is what he's introduced already in the book, right? The Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the power of all three members. This is the triune creator, sustainer, and sovereign power. The word power here is closely associated with ability. Ability. This is so important. I want you to mark this down. Ability. For the believer, you know where our ability comes from? It comes from God's power, His ability, not our ability. For the believer, we're all about his ability. We're all about his power. We're not about our ability. We're about his ability, his power. This is God's ability to do things in and through and for his creation. This ability or power is surpassingly great. As the scripture says, nothing is impossible for God. Why? Why is nothing impossible for God? Because He's God. He's omnipotent. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's God. The only thing that constrains God's power is His character. What do you mean by that? 
He cannot act contrary to a righteous character. So God is all-powerful, but God cannot lie. God can do no unrighteousness. God is righteous. And His ability is seen in righteous reign. Always. He's holy. I love the Old Testament title for God. What's the Old Testament title for God's power? El Shaddai. El Shaddai. God Almighty. That's, that's this. God Almighty. El Shaddai. I want to know El Shaddai. I want you to know El Shaddai. God Almighty. He is working. He is reigning. He has ability. But notice the shocking twist in the middle of the verse. Only if you are thinking godly. It's shocking. Paul prays that the believers understand this infinite, incalculable power of, power of God is directed toward us. Towards us. It shouldn't be this way. It should not say towards us. There's no way that God's power should be directed at me. No way. Except in wrath and in judgment. But his power is directed towards us. And Paul has switched from you to us here. He switches right in the middle of this verse. He goes from, I pray that you know, to this power is directed towards us. And includes himself, but ultimately includes who? All of us. His power, his almighty power is directed to all of us. But then he gives a qualifier to who the us is, right? Who's the us? It's a qualifier. Who believe? It's the one who is trusting in God. It's the one who has repented and trusted in God. The ones who God has called. The ones who God has changed their hearts. The one who's been redeemed. And the one who has the new heart and that trusts in God. God's power is directed towards us who believe. And it's present tense which implies what? Our believing. We're continually trusting in Him. Those who are trusting in Him have God's power directed at them. And toward them. That's good news. Oh, that's good news. You'll see why as we go along in the rest of this book. It's going to free you. It's going to make you worship God. It's going to make you enjoy God. Because the power comes. The ability comes outside of you. From God to you. Which is great truth. And every believer in the room is so thankful for that. Because there's no way in this world I can even access God without His power. I can't even come before God without Him. Mankind cannot get to God 
God came to us and made his a dwelling place in us so that we can access him. That is power beyond our comprehension. The idea here is God's almighty power is directed to us. It's actively working in us. Interestingly, Paul switches from the plural you here to both him and everybody that believes. God's ability is to affect impossible changes, to produce great glory for himself in all believers. Notice God's power is towards the ones who are believing. This guarantees everything God has ordained for us will happen. We'll see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? Look at it real quick. Look at verse two, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Oh, do you understand what this means? This means believers are going to do good works. You know why? Because God's power is going to work in them. He's going to work in them. This is objective, true reality. This isn't just an ethereal thought. This is fact. Believers... Do good works. Why? Because God's working in them. His power. But we're not saved by works. We'll talk about that next week. Very interesting. Both words are used. Very, very interesting. So important. And this means that no matter what, we can't. If God's working in us and His power is towards us, guess what, beloved? There's no way you can lose your salvation, I promise you. There is no way you can lose your salvation because if you could lose your salvation, it would be based on your power, not his ability. God's power in us guarantees that everybody that is his will go to glory. It's his ability. He's all-powerful. If we could lose our salvation, if... We could lose our salvation. God would not be all powerful. This is profound truth. God is all powerful. And He is working. Notice His power towards us who believe according to the working of the strength of His might. This is like once and then after the next, after the next. The working is, is His active participation and power in us. The active participation that he has taken action. He's working right now. Did you know right now God's power is working in every single believer right now in this room? Right now. That's good news. That's, good. That's glorious huh? news. And he isn't a weak God. He works with mighty strength. Mighty strength. Again, strength and might are synonyms. And it's interesting, when you look at the, the words, you can put either word in each place. You could be mighty strength or strength might or strength of strength or mighty might. Mighty might. 
or mighty strength. Well, they're synonyms, and they're all talking about the same concept, that God's power is actively working with amazing might and strength and power. An ability that is working. When I think of God's power, are you like me? When I think of God's power, one of the very first things that... It's interesting, D.A. Carson said the same thing in his uh, book on prayer on this one section. And it just hit me. When I think of God's power according to the working of the strength of his might, I think of this. Think of the creation. How about you? You look at the, the stars and the... <laughs> The galaxies, and, 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 and yeah, I, I'm still blown away by Genesis 1. I, I, I will never get over the little phrase. It's really only one word. He made the stars too. <laughs> Do you understand? The billions and billions of stars are, are suns. They're suns. And the, Sometimes they're so far away that they look like a sun when in fact they're a galaxy with lots of stars in them. And the stars are... Do you understand the sun and the earth and the sun? And there's suns like this that are bigger than bigger than bigger than bigger than our suns that if you were to compare our sun to the largest sun, it would be like comparing this pencil to the size of this room. That God made all of that and said, Happen! That's power. Do you understand? That's power. Right? That's power. Listen, I have a hard time picking up 100 pounds. God created the universe with a word. And he made the stars too. Spoke it. When I think of the creation, I think God's power is so far beyond my comprehension. But yet, when Paul is focused on them knowing the power of God, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the power of God towards the individual believer. Do you understand that God could play pool with the stars? That the whole universe rests in his hand. That he keeps everything working by the word of his power. And yet that power, the almighty powerful one, is working in and every single believer all the time. I can't get over this sin. No, you can't. But can the one who flung the stars in the universe handle it? Yes, he can. He's not talking about God's power that way as the creation. He's talking about the power directed to us who believe. And it's even more glorious than the display of his power in the universe. Where do we see God's glorious power working the most in this world? Well, some of you would argue, and I might even argue at times, it's obviously his general revelation. 
The creation, obviously, is the greatest display of God's glory in the world, right? I would argue that the Apostle Paul puts the priority on the work of God's power in his body, the church, and in his people. That's where the greatest display... Do you understand? Just like the evolutionists are constantly attacking God for his power, do you understand the enemy is also after his church? He wants everything he can to distort it and to make it not look like what the Bible describes as the power of God on display, the church. Why? He doesn't want God glorified. You know the good news is? is that God's still working even if he's trying to damage it. And you know who knows it? The angels and the demons. They know it. They know it. We'll find that out later in Ephesians. So where do we see God's glorious power at work the best? Well, the short answer is the rest of chapter 1, 2, and 3. 4, 5, and 6. (laughs) the rest of the book is where we're going to see the power of God on display. But actually the main focus on God's power is found in the first three chapters and it starts right here in verse 20. From verse 20 down through the end of chapter 1, we see God's power in Christ. There's four great demonstrations of God's mighty power in this first half of the book. And it's found in the rest of the first three chapters. You see God's power in Christ, 20 to 23. Then you see God's power in the individual believer in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2. Then you see God's power in the body of Christ in verses 11 to 22. And then finally you'll see God's power in the Apostle Paul's ministry to the Gentiles in chapter 3 verses 1 to 14. Okay? You're going to see this over and over. You're going to see God's power. We're going to come in and say, God's power is great. That's what it's going to happen. We're going to say, all of verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of the strength of His might, we're going to see this over the next three chapters. We're going to see verse 19 in the next three chapters. Do you understand? So ultimately... Paul prays for them to what? Know the power of God. Right? That's what he prays. And then what's he do? The Spirit works through Paul to answer the request. To answer the call. See, he says, God, give them a knowledge and understanding of the power of God. And then the Spirit goes and works through Paul to write down what? The power of God. And so they're going to see the power of God over and over and over and over through the book. And then they're going to get to chapter 4 and then he's going to say, in light of the power of God, go do it. Live it. The power of God's there. I prayed for God to give you more power. Now go serve the king. You just got a summary of the whole book. Does that make sense? See in the big picture? All right, so we're going to just walk down through this. We're almost done. Hang in there. Let's look at the first one. 
The pinnacle and foundation of God's power on display, working in the strength of His might, is found in verses 20 to 23. Arguably, it is the main theme of the whole book. It is the main point of the whole book. God's power in Christ. All other displays of God's power flow from this powerful display of God. What is, what is the power of God for salvation? Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Somebody tell me. The gospel. Yes. So guess what 20 to 23 is? Uh, the gospel. It's who Christ is, what God has done in Christ. That God's power is displayed in, in Christ. And therefore, all other things flow from that truth. The power comes from Him who is seated at the right hand of God. Now take note of God's answer to Paul's prayer. Verse 20. Which, which, that is the strength of His might, the working power, God's power. He worked about in Christ. He worked about in Christ. When He raised Him from the dead and seated Him on His at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all, which is, in, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. There's no way I can go through this today. No way we're going to get through all this. But let's jump in. All right? This is just mind-blowing. Here we go. In this passage, we see God's power in Christ towards us who believe. There's three displays of God's power. God's power is revealed in Christ in this passage. First, God's work in Christ's resurrection and ascension. Let's just do that one. Okay? We'll do that one. Then, next time we'll do God's subjection of all things under Christ's feet. And then third, God's gifting of Christ as head to the church. It's just too much to try to cover. So let's just do this first one. God's power on display in Christ's resurrection and ascension. Notice it states it. Which he worked in Christ. Now, some of your translation don't have worked. Matter of fact, mine has he brought about in Christ. Do you see that? Nazmin brought about in Christ. Worked is better. And let me tell you why. Because it plays off the word that was just mentioned in the previous verse. Where it says these are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Same root word. So God worked this in Christ. This is His power in action. What kind of power does God display? He displayed His power in the working of Raising Christ from the dead and ascending and, and, and the ascension of Christ. Christ being play, put at the right hand of God and seating Him at the right hand in heavenly places. How did God work the strength of His might? One, He raised Jesus from the dead. Two, He seated Jesus at the right hand of God in heavenly places. This is powerful. This is amazing truth. This is 
shocking truth. And it goes all the way through the book because look over at chapter 4. You can't do it, but I don't have time. Here we go. Look at verse 8 in chapter 4. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's appointing to his resurrection and ascension. He's going to talk about this throughout the whole book. This power of God to raise Christ from the dead is the same power that God has towards you. This is stunning truth. God took the crucified Jesus. He was dead. Physically dead. Put in a ground, in a grave. He was there for three days. Dead people don't get up. They don't. Every person that we love that's died, stay dead. They didn't get up three days later. That's power, isn't it? That's amazing power. But that's only the beginning of the work of His might. That's only the beginning. He raised Him from the dead. But He didn't just say, Christ, you're alive. He said, Christ, you reign now. You're the sovereign. You're the authority. You're seated at the Father's right hand. Is that, that's metaphorical. And what's the point is, is that He's in the position of authority. That means whatever Jesus says goes. Oh, do you understand that the power of God is not demonstrated by lifting an arm? The power of God is demonstrated by the spoken word. I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Think for a second. Think. Jesus says, that one is alive with me. Guess what happens? That one's alive. That one right there, I know he's a son of disobedient. He's against God. Not anymore. He's mine. He's with me. He's seated with me in heavenly places. Who saves who, beloved? Who makes us right with God? Who gives us the new heart? The sovereign Jesus. He determines everything. He sits at the right hand of God. Who? People have come to me just in the last couple of months and they've asked me about things like, do we cast out demons around here? Cast out demons. Oh no, here we go. Jesus is on the throne of God. Those demons do what he wants him to do right now. They're where he wants them right this second. They don't go anywhere he does not allow them. He is sovereign over all authority and power and dominion. That's what it says. No demon comes near his children. You know why? Because he doesn't let it. He's ruling. 
Do we trust Him? The enemy is trying to say, no, you need to speak it gone. What are you talking about? He's already won. He's already seated. He's already dominion over them. Where did Satan go when Job... Where was he? Remember Job? The story? What did God say to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? Demons do nothing that God does not allow. Christ is Lord over all of them. We trust Him. He is all-powerful. Everything is under His feet. Right now. This is so relieving, isn't it? Isn't this great? We just trust Him, beloved. Notice, he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you understand how sovereign Jesus is? This is amazing power on display that Jesus is complete control. Listen, you have a bad situation that happened in your life. Somebody treated you bad. I want you to acknowledge this. It came while Christ was ruling over that. What? Do you understand that somebody treats you bad? You need to understand something that Christ is ruling. That's what it says. Over all rule, dominion, authority, power, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This means, beloved, every name, that's the rich, the single, the married, the poor, the kings, the servants, the masters, the children, your workers, your co-workers, the person driving in front of you, the person driving behind you. That means every single person in this world, every person in this room. He is over every single one of us all the time, right now. He's sovereignly in control of all of that. He was in control when I dropped that. He knew I was going to drop that before I dropped that. You just scratched your face. He knew you were going to scratch your face. He was sovereign over that. You, he knows all. He is completely sovereign over every single thing that's happened. I saw two more scratches on the face. He's sovereign. You say, wait a second. Isn't that the power of suggestion? No, he's sovereign over that. Nothing happens outside of his power, beloved. If you understand that power towards us who believe, your life's transformed. It's transformed. You no longer walk around. Why did that happen? What happened here? This isn't fair. I'm mistreated. You don't complain. You're thankful. 
and you trust him no matter what. I know a million questions are going through your mind. That's why you're going to have to keep coming. Because I didn't give you all the answers today. But this is the facts. God's power shown towards us. In the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ's rulership. Help us, Lord, now to go and serve you. King Jesus, may you be honored in all that we say and do. Now, Lord, as we worship you, let us worship you in spirit and truth. May we acknowledge you for who you are. Please, God, work in our hearts. Help us to know your power towards us, the working of your great might. Help us, Lord, to trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing.